This is the MS Show, the podcast for people with multiple sclerosis and their families who want information and inspiration. I'm Bron Webster. I've been living with MS for over 20 years. I'll be sharing with you tips, stories and ways to keep going with MS. Hi, welcome to today's episode and I am really pleased to introduce you to Liz Baum and Liz is the better half of Martin Baum who was the main person that I was talking to in episode 48. So today we're going to be talking about the other side of the coin and hearing from Liz who does a lot of the caring for Martin. Hi Liz, it's nice to have you. Hi Bron, lovely to see you. Yeah, you too. And How is it where you're living today? What's the weather doing for you? It's actually quite overcast at the moment, but um, not a bad day. It's not exactly a walking day, but uh, hopefully tomorrow will be. We try and get out and walk most days. Good. Brilliant. Happy to hear that. Um, So you've been with Martin for how long and sort of where and when and how did you get together? We met probably about 33 years ago now. And we were working for the same company. I was a secretary to the big boss and he was one of the sales team. I I joined the week before Martin um, and we became friends very quickly actually. And so that was it. There was a friendship for about two years. And then we, I knew at that point he had MS Um, and we started to go for drinks and then it kind of progressed from there. And so 30 years on and we've been married for that period of time. We have a 26 year old son and life has been interesting over 30 years. I'm sure it has. So you you knew you knew Martin had got MS before you became a couple. Yes. Um, and did you know much about MS at that point in time? You know, I knew very little. Um, the only thing I knew, um, it, interestingly enough, the, the job I had before the one where I met Martin, I was working for a company that supplied royal jelly which was doing a number of trials on people with MS. And even at that point, I didn't really know what MS was. Um, Although we had to get in touch with people and ask them how they were doing on the trials. And most people actually did quite well. But the one thing I realized that they all had in common was the fact that whenever I contacted them, they all sounded very, very down. They all sounded very negative about everything. It didn't matter what it was, we were trying to help them, but they always sounded very down. And I thought, well, okay, I can sort of understand it. If you've got a condition that you can't do anything about, Mm. um, it must be tough. It really must be. But every time I phoned somebody and and asked them how they were doing, they would tell me everything. Chapter and verse. I didn't really want to know necessarily. (laughs) I would hear everything. 
maybe that was a good thing. Perhaps I was their confessional. I don't know. Maybe they just needed to offload onto somebody. And if that was me, then that's fair enough. That was fine. Mm. But more than that, I have to say, I didn't really know too much about MS. I didn't know how it affected people to that degree. Mm. Um, I knew the basics. But of course, that was before the days of the internet. Um, And when Martin and I got together, I realized that I was gonna have to get to know pretty quickly what this was all about. Mm. So I went to the library. Uh, The one thing that I found was that there weren't very many books about MS. And I don't know quite the reason for that. I guess it's just because people either didn't know very much or they didn't really want to know very much. So the library didn't really cater for that. Um, But I tried to find out as much as I possibly could and we took it forward in that way. Okay, you were finding out just living alongside MS, all its variations, I guess, at that point in time, weren't you? Yes, I suppose I had the same misconception that so many people do now at that point, which was MS, that means you end up in a wheelchair at some point but Mm. as we've discovered 30 odd years on fortunately he doesn't need a wheelchair Mm. maybe he will at some point in the future but automatically if you say to somebody as I have my husband's got MS it's like oh but he's not in a wheelchair that seems to be the, the the thing that goes together with it And I'm not quite sure why that is, but I would certainly like to be able to educate people a little bit more about that. Um, But that's what I'm saying. You know, there are misconceptions. There there were then and there still are now. No, I agree. I agree with you on that. It must be very, very nice to be able to set people straight. And and people like me, I suppose, from a caring point of view, would like to be able to say to people, well, this is how it is, but it's not always like that. Mm, It's variable, isn't it? Very much so. Yeah, which makes it incredibly difficult, I think, for other people to understand. It does. The variability of it. Yes, because it comes under this thing of invisible illnesses, doesn't it? Yeah. And that's always the difficulty, because if somebody looks all right, then you assume they are. Exactly. So at what point in your relationship did you assume a more of a caregiving role than just an ordinary wife? And no wife's ordinary, don't get me wrong. We're all unique and individual, but at what, <laughs> at what, point, at what point did you move um, kind of what you were thinking about? Yes. It's quite difficult to know actually when that happened because I think it's something we've sort of drifted into over the years. It's just that now I realise I do a lot more for him than I had to at the very start. Mm. But that has been so gradual over the years that it's just become something we've both acclimatised to. He didn't necessarily want to always give up his independence, his freedom, but I'd taken over more of the organisational side of things. As you probably know, it's it's quite difficult when it comes to memory retention and, and uh, communication. 
Um, and so I've taken on more of those roles over the years, but I can't honestly pinpoint when that happened. I think it was a very gradual thing. And because of that, I think it's been a lot easier for us mm. over that 30 year period because it has happened so gradually. Mm. Yeah. And so what sort of things on a day to day basis does your caring for Martin involve? On a day-to-day, -day, well, the one thing that I think gets him more than anything else is the fact that he's had to stop driving now. So I drive wherever we need to go. He no longer can go out on his own because he's, his balance isn't great and his vision isn't great. Um, and I'm with him all the time. So I think, you know, when it comes to caring, and if we're talking about personal care, um, he manages sort of pretty much, but I'm always on hand. I'm never far away. Mm. So I wouldn't leave him, for example, in the shower. I'm, I'm there sort of, you know, to lend a hand or to help him if he loses his balance or something like that. But we've got, you know, a seat in the shower anyway. So that's not really an issue. But just in case he slips or something happens and he needs additional help, I'm there for that. I help him with buttons. I help him with, um, I do the cleaning and the cooking and everything, all the normal wifey things, if you like. Um, <laughs> but I also help out with, any phone calls or um, any communications that need to happen, any liaison between doctors and dentists and whoever, um, because he, he doesn't remember anything. If, if he's had a phone call with somebody and I say, what did they say? He won't remember. So there's no point in my asking him. So now he says, oh, you speak to them. And <laughs> nine times out of 10, we just put them on loudspeaker. And so we both yeah. know what's going on. So it makes life a lot easier. Because yeah. the one thing that I don't want to do is to make him feel that he's not important, that he doesn't matter, and that I'm trying to take his life over. I'm not. Mm. But I'm trying to facilitate, if you like. Um, I'm the... I like to call myself in a way a, a kind of risk assessor um, because I'm always trying to, you know, just to see how much and I kind of look at the situation and think, well, you know, I think perhaps he'd better not go into that shop. I mean, the, I'm talking about the days when we could go into shops. <laughs> but if he wants to go into a shop I think is there, a lift? is there an escalator you know um he doesn't think about that all he thinks about oh yeah I'm going to go into next I'm going to go up the stairs but you know there's no point if there isn't a lift or an escalator because he finds it difficult and he's going to be if he tries to get up the stairs he's going to be exhausted by the time he gets to the top and then he's got to get down again so you know we, we I have to kind of monitor those situations so it's kind of constantly being there and just keeping an eye but the one thing like I say and I must reiterate this I never ever ever want to take over I really don't I mean I want him to be the person that he's always been but I just try to make life a little bit easier yeah yeah, I get that. I hear that. Um, so from your personal perspective, how has it impacted you, Liz? Um, that's a tricky one because I don't really know. I mean, I, I would say that 
it's enriched my life, most certainly. I mean, we got married because we loved each other. Um, one thing that somebody asked me, which I was absolutely staggered by, and I still am, um, when we announced, because obviously everybody knew us at the, the company where we met, uh, when we announced that we were getting married, um, because nobody even knew we were going out together, we kept that quiet. Um, but when we said we were going to get married, somebody actually said to me, are you marrying him because you're feeling pity for him? They didn't. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to say that this person did. And I was absolutely astounded that somebody could even think that. And I said, no, it's mm -hmm. not that. Um, and there have been a few pitying looks over the years when you tell somebody my husband's got MS and they can't understand why I married him knowing that he had MS. So it's something that's all, always been there. I'm sure mm. it must be different if people are married and then they develop any condition, no matter what it is, that's a challenge. Mm. And yes, there are still challenges anyway, regardless. But we got married knowing I'd like to say we knew what we were in for. I suppose you don't really. You don't in anything unless you've got a crystal ball. And I haven't. So, you know, yeah. um, that's life, isn't it? You just, mm. you, you just take it on the chin and get on with it. And, and that's what we've always done. Um, I would say that because we got married when we did and we've grown into this gradually, I can't honestly say it's impacted on my life in any major way except that I feel that I understand other people a lot better. I certainly understand Martin um, and he's got the measure of me, I know that. Um, and we've been able to help others, I'd like to think, because we understand the situation. And if it means that other people can be kind and, you know, make allowances, for other people that have been through similar situations to us, I think then that's job done really, because we just want to help others to be kind and giving and just to look out for them. Mm. And I think that it, it makes you a more rounded individual, I would say, because you, you always have to have an eye on what somebody else may be going through. It's all very well and good somebody coming up to you and saying, you know, how are you today? Oh, just, just how are you? They don't really want to know necessarily. They could have their own issues that are going on at that time. And you really want to be able to give them the opportunity to tell you how they're feeling. And so we do try and be a little more giving in that we don't automatically tell other people how we are because somebody else might have a far bigger issue that they want to offload onto us. And if that's the case, then mm -hmm. that's great. And we, we try to help them. So I would say it's just made us a lot more aware that other people have problems too. It's not just us. But it sounds like you're giving an awful lot to others in doing that. Yes. And I, I would like to think that if we can change something, even just in a very small way for somebody else, Mm. then that makes it all worthwhile. Mm. If it means it gives other people a little bit of hope, um, people, as we've had 
on Martin's website, lots of people get in touch with us um, and say, you know, I've experienced this, I'm newly diagnosed, this is happening, that's happening, my wife doesn't understand me, my husband is doing this, that's something else. It's, it's a very difficult situation for them to come to terms with. And because we've done it already, we haven't always got things right, and we're not perfect, not by any stretch of the imagination, but we do try to understand, and we can at least give people a, a, a reasonable perspective on what we've done. So there is a little bit of hope, and we're still here, and we're still smiling, and we're still saying, yeah, okay, well, that was a situation we encountered when, and we can recount our, our own experience, how we dealt with it, it worked for us. It might work for you. I'm not telling you you should do that, but I'm saying that this worked for us. So give it a go. It's worth yeah. it, isn't it? Yeah, and I think it's really valuable for other people in the same situation as you're in and Martin's in and I'm in yeah. with my husband. I think that whole knowing that there's somebody else and that actually what they're feeling is not unusual what they're feeling is perfectly normal. Absolutely. Given the circumstances, I think that in itself is really valuable. I do too. And I think the most important thing is that you mustn't, as a carer, you must not beat yourself up Mm. over something that you you might think, oh, I should have done. You're human. You know, you, you, you have to look after yourself too. And I think that's a very valid point to, to remember that you're still there, you know, mm. you are a person, you might be caring for that person who might not be able to do as much as they would like to. And by looking after them, sometimes you put your own needs last. Um, and yes, I've done that too, to my own detriment. And I realise that I have to have time out for me. I need to have time off, not from caring, I'm still there, but I just need to disappear, maybe even to another room even just to chat to a friend. One yeah. of the things that I found was really, really beneficial was singing. I joined a choir. Um, this is a few years ago now. And uh, actually when my son was still at home, so it was, it was okay because I knew he was at home. He could take care of Martin. Now, the one thing that I realized that I hadn't realized before, because I'd never really been into this. Um, when I was at school, they told me that I, couldn't sing, that I wasn't singing in tune. So I couldn't even join the choir. So it gave me this thing all my life that I wasn't able to sing. So I was always a bit self-conscious of that. So I never ever joined one until like six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I joined and it was only because a friend of mine had said, why don't you come along with me? I said, I can't sing. She said, no, but you don't have to audition. It doesn't matter and it's all good fun. So I went. And what I found was a group of people who were all there for different reasons. Some were not well themselves, other people in a similar situation to me, other people were just lonely and they just needed to be there, to be together. It's not about the singing, it's actually about the togetherness. It's about finding friendship and it's about finding people who understand and not judge you. And when I got together with that group of people and then we started to learn songs and you're focusing on on the the harmonies or the lyrics and you're concentrating on your breathing. It's like a form of yoga in a way. But I I used to come out of every session on such a high. It's it's a, a euphoric thing to do. So 
I can thoroughly recommend from my own point of view, if somebody's looking for some sort of outlet, they should go and sing, join a choir. It doesn't matter that you can't sing. People don't care. Don't go to one of these where you need to audition. You just need to go to a <laughs> unity choir and you can have fun, make friends and forget things for a couple of hours. That's all it takes, a couple of hours a week. And then you make another group of friends that you stay in contact with. Everybody has their own issues and you all talk to each other about them. And the thing is that when we left um, Dorset, where I was living at the time, um, I left behind a really good group of friends who we're all still friends now, and they all still stay in contact with me now. And over the past year of the pandemic, that's been wonderful to have that friendship. We're all still staying in contact with each other because as you know, like everything else, you can't join any kind of groups, you can't sing. So they've not been able to do that. When we moved to Hertfordshire 18 months ago, the idea was I was going to join a choir and I was due to join a new choir um, about two weeks before the first lockdown happened. So it's not actually happened yet. Aww. And I'm hoping Aww. that all this is over and done with, I'm going to be joining another one and I'm hoping to join another group. But I've still got the friends that I made originally. Mm. Um, and I feel that the singing is probably the most, in my life anyway, the most important pastime for me because it gives me pleasure. It's got immeasurable, it's been proven actually, measurable health benefits mm. um, for, for mental well-being. And I think that the one thing, uh, it's all very well and good joining the, the online classes that they've had over, the, um, over all the lockdowns. They've been great actually, and I'm sure they've been quite good for some, but it means that you're still listening to yourself sing. And actually I realize now my teacher originally was right, I can't sing, but <laughs> it doesn't matter, I enjoy it. Um, and I think that that is something that I would thoroughly recommend to anybody who is a carer, male, mm. female, doesn't matter. Just sing, find a group of people. And if your person that you're caring for can be left, or if you have somebody who can just sit with them for a couple of hours once a week for your own health benefits, I think it's absolutely vital. It and sounds that, great. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful for me. It works for mm. me every yeah. single time yeah that's really good to hear and it, it is really important that you've got an outlet and you've got something that is for you yes and that's what, yes absolutely that's what I'm saying you really mustn't forget that you matter without mm. you saying well your person that you're caring for isn't taken care of the way that you would need them to be or they need to be so you have to stay on top of things um, and, and I'm still me. I'm still the person I was before I started caring. The same as Martin is the same person he was before he ever got MS. Um, we haven't changed. We're still there. We are the same people. We just find mm. ways to cope with it differently. Mm. And you were talking about there, you were saying people contact you um, yeah. and Martin to ask yeah. for help. At any point, have you gone out and looked for any help for you doing what you are doing as a carer? Only in a medical sense. I can't honestly say that I've ever looked for somebody to say, I'm going through this. Because the trouble is, I I'm, I'm, have always been the kind of person 
that thinks, yes, I can deal with this. I can handle this. My training is as a secretary. Mm. And I've always been the one juggling lots of things. I've always been the efficient one. I've been the one who copes under pressure. I've been the calm one. I've got on with things. And I've wrongly, as it turns out, I've I've felt that it's some sort of admission of failure or weakness if I don't do everything and if I don't get everything right. And you end up juggling all kinds of balls and you're dropping them all in the end. So this is what I've discovered. (laughs) Um, I should have asked for help a long time ago, but I didn't. Mm. However, I've managed to get out the other side. I'm not quite sure how, but we just kind of muddled on and we got on with it. And so I've not really looked for help from anyone else apart from any of the professionals, um, anything that we've been concerned about. The help has been there. I have to say that nobody has ever shut the door on me. Nobody has ever said to me, oh, go away. We can't be bothered with you. It's not been like that. It's my own admission of Mm. not being able to cope because I have to be the one who's, yes, I've got to do this. This is my job, if you like. But I now realize that it doesn't matter. Like I say, I'm human. I make mistakes. And these days, and and in actual fact, this was one of the reasons why we decided to move back from um, Dorset back to Hertfordshire, because we're near family. We have family and friends nearby. And they all know what the situation is. And I would have no hesitation in asking any of them to help out at any time. And they would be there, I know, mm. at the drop of a hat. So you um, think a network is a really important I thing? I think it's very, very important. But I think one of the most important things is that you shouldn't ever be afraid to ask for help. You shouldn't ever think that you can do everything, that you are this superwoman, that you can do everything, because you can't. You know, you, you just mm. have to sometimes take a step back and say, well, look, actually, I would be a lot more effective as a carer. I would be able to do a lot more if I just had a couple of hours off and if I just had a break. Our son is fantastic. I mean, he he lives about um, 30 minutes away now. And, um, you know, obviously it's been very difficult during the pandemic, but once all this is over, I know that he will be on hand at any time, whenever I need him. He always has been, and he will be whenever I need him to be. But in addition to that, we've got brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, friends all around us here, which we didn't have in Dorset. We didn't have that support network. We had friends, but there's something about asking friends as opposed to family when it comes to something like this. I think we all feel a lot more comfortable if we're asking our family to help out. Yeah, no, I get you on that one. And and likewise, my family, and Graham's family, they're all in the north of England, sort of three hours drive away. And oh, wow. it's, it's not easy. And so you find the people that will, you know, you can ask them, but it's not a simple thing to do. Whereas it's much easier to ask family. I, I get what you're saying. Yes. So, yeah. much, so much easier to do that. Yes. So. I, I think if it came to a situation where it was a, as it has been on occasions, you know, a matter of, of some sort of personal care that that somebody needs help with. They need a bit of help in a shower or 
in the loo or something like that, um, then Martin would far rather know that our son was nearby or his brother was nearby um, than a friend that we might have only known a couple of years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, people are always very kind. They are always very keen to help out, but sometimes there, there are different levels. Mm, so I think we absolutely. have to be aware of that. And, and I think that we actually feel very much more secure now that we're back here and we've got that support nearby. Because it has to be said, over the years, Martin has got worse. Um, he's not as mobile or as capable as he used to be. Um, he, you know, I mean, mentally he's, he's sharp as a pin, but he just, you know, realizes what his physical limitations are now. So, you know, we've had to make these adjustments to our lives to make sure that we all live a life. Yeah, but you're happy to make those adjustments with him. Yes, I am. Totally. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been very 50-50 all along. There's never been a case of me saying, well, I want to do this and him saying, well, no, I don't really. I mean, I, I, I have to say that it's been very good. Maybe we've just been lucky. I'm not sure. But certainly we have made all the decisions together and we have been in agreement. And with, you know, I mean, there might have been a, a, a little bit of give and take along the way, but, you know, generally we, we managed to sort things out. We're quite happy with the decisions that we've made. Mm. And I know when I was talking with Martin, he was saying he'd had a period where he'd not been the, the most easy person to be around and that he'd got to a point where he'd acknowledged how he was. And I just... I just wonder, you being in the caring situation, what what was that time like for you? Of his adjustment, you mean, or, or, or for him realising? Both. I think it was a very, um, I realised I was going to have my work cut out at the very start of our relationship. When we first started going out together, he wasn't very well. And... Um, he was off work and I rang him from work and I said, how are you? And his response was, how do you think I am? I've got MS. Oh. And I said, well, I know that. He took the wind out of my sails, I have to say. Um, I said, yes, I know that, but I'm actually ringing to ask how you're doing and because I care. And that was the first lesson, I think, that made me think, let's just nip this one in the bud now. So I went straight round to him after work and I remember saying, look, you know, if I ring you and I, I, I know you've got MS, I do understand and I know what you're going through. I don't understand everything that you're going through because I'm not you, but mm. I'm here, I'm seeing it, I'm trying to help you and I'm asking you how you are because I care how you are. And there have been various other situations. I've actually heard him say things like that to others. His family, for example, he, I think it's a case of saying, you know, look at me, I'm suffering. And I don't think you can see how I'm suffering when you're talking about invisible illnesses, because MS, 
Undoubtedly, for many, not all, but for many, it's an invisible illness people can't actually see. And I think it's almost a case of having to demonstrate to people who can't see how you're feeling on that day. I mean, he might be very, very tired. His speech might be slurred. He might not have great vision and he might not be able to feel his left leg, but that's not apparent from somebody looking at him. So you have to kind of say, or he feels he has to justify why he's feeling bad. So he's got to tell that person exactly how he is and remind them, yes, I've got MS. So I think it's actually been a bit of a challenge for us along the way to make me say to him, look, everybody that we talk to now, they all know what the situation is. They all know you've got MS. You don't have to continually beat them over the head with it. They are all going to be here to help you. They want to do their best to make life easier for you. Nobody is trying to tell you you're a malingerer or... <laughs> you're, you're not going through what you're going through. Um, and I think that he started to get it because bit by bit, the less he moaned about things, the more people responded and he became more aware that people were more prepared to chat to him, to talk to him, to help him, to listen if he was not this self-absorbed person. He then had to realize that he had to find a way of switching off to deal with things himself. So he started to do meditation. Um, a little bit of cajoling from me because he really didn't want to do that. And he thought it was all kind of happy, clappy people and not really, you okay. know. Woo-woo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, when he did it, he the first time we went, it was like, they're all old people I said well I hate to break it to you love but you know actually you're one of those old people as well the same as I am so let's just get in there and get on with it and see where it takes us so we did this and he was amazed because he zoned out totally and um he said I can't believe that I can't believe how it's made me feel and I said well there you go so we had a chat with the teacher afterwards she was brilliant actually really really lovely lady who was very very supportive and very sweet and um, he started to meditate daily at home and he still does and I, I mean I have for years because I used to do yoga all the time and as time allows I still do um, and I meditate and I think it's all about mindfulness. That, again, sounds a bit woo-woo, if you like. But, you know, when you start to think about it, you, you realise that just sometimes just taking stock of what's going on around you and appreciating what you've got. It's always that glass half full, isn't it? It's, it you can't focus on what you haven't got because we've got so many things to be thankful for. And that's what we try to do. So I think that if I can say one thing over the years that we've done, it's probably the fact that we've, we've come to terms with where we are, what we've got, both of us, not just him, me as well. Mm -hmm. And we've found ways to be grateful for all the good things in our life, all the good people that surround us and to make the most of every day.
you know, mm. I mean, what's his name the other week? Um, Colonel Tom, lovely man. Um, he said tomorrow will be a good day. And I, I think we can subscribe to that because there's no point in moaning about what happened yesterday. Don't have regrets about that. You know, just think about where you are now and always think that tomorrow is going to be a good day. And I think that's actually a very good, <laughs> a very good soundbite that he's left. Yeah. And that's a good legacy. And I think that that's the way that we try and cope with life now. But it took Martin to be miserable, unhappy with his lot to realise. And I'm not quite sure where that point came. I'm really not sure. I can't tell you. But something clicked in his brain at some point that actually people don't want to know if I'm being miserable, if I've got a headache, if I'm feeling tired, if I can't see properly. They just want to talk to me. And if I talk back to them, I can actually have a conversation and I can find out about them. And I think that that is the important thing. You have to have that communication and it's honesty as well. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Liz, a little bird tells me that that uh, Martin is not the only author in your household and that you're working on a little bit of something. So what is it that you're working on? <laughs> well, I'm working on currently I'm working on a book from the carer's perspective. Um, the title is We Have MS, because the one thing we realised, it's not just him. He might be the one who's going through the physical symptoms, but the carer goes through it as well. Mm. So we're a team. We work together on this. And my book is really about saying to people, this is how we've overcome things. We might not always have got it right, but I'm sharing my experiences as a carer and about how we dealt with it and if anybody can identify with that and they want to try it then that's great I'm not going to stand up there and say this is what you must do because there are no rights and wrongs in any of this I think you just have to find a way that works for you and go along with it and if somebody else has been through it I think you're always a little bit happier knowing that you're not alone that somebody else has been through it already and just maybe, just maybe their experience might just prompt you to try something a little bit different that perhaps you might not have thought of otherwise. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm still learning from other people. Um, so, you know, I mean, it doesn't mean to say I get things right either, but if I can help somebody along the way, and I'm more than happy, anybody wants to get in touch with Martin's website, as very often happens actually, because he has a lot of carers contact him and he always passes everything on to me and I respond to them so if anybody wants to get in touch and they have any queries or they have any worries or they just want to say look this is what's happening and it's driving me mad and I just don't know what to do chances are I might have been through something very similar myself and I might be able to say well actually this is what we did try it what mm. do you lose and so I think it's, it's really about sharing our experiences and talking about what we've done, what we plan to do, and just letting people know that you can overcome it, you can get through, and you can actually live a very rich and fulfilled life. It doesn't mean it's the end. It's difficult for 
the person with MS and I acknowledge that, but the carer, whoever they are, whether it's husband, wife, if it's a, you know, son, daughter, brother, sister, friend, doesn't really matter. Whoever it is, is having to go through that journey with you. And so I think it's very important for the carer to have a voice and to say, this is what we're going to do. Let's, let's give it a go. Mm. So that's what the book is about. And hopefully at some point when it comes out, and I'm not quite sure when that will be just yet, but um, if it helps somebody, then it's job done. Yeah, I'd be excited to, to get more details on that when it's getting public for sure. Um, the only other thing really that I've not touched on specifically is around some of the reading that I've been doing about the impacts on people that care for people with MS. And it's talking about that the carers often say that they've got a a lower quality of life. But everything that you've been saying to me suggests that that isn't the case for you. I don't think it has to be that way. I can't obviously speak for everyone else because everybody else's situation is different. Mm. Every Mm. situation is different. But I feel that it's not, I I don't look at our life in a negative way at all. In fact, I consider our lives have been enriched by what we've been through because we can appreciate how others feel and we can try to help them. It, It does make you a lot more compassionate because you can see what other people may be going through, many people far worse than us. And I do appreciate that. Um, And if I could give help to those people, then I would do, I would do so at the drop of a hat because Mm -hmm. I consider I'm very lucky. I've got a wonderful husband and that's what he is to me. He's not somebody I care for, he's my husband. And it just so happens that because I'm here and he's got MS, I do what I can, but we're also supported by a number of other people who care for us, um, our son and family and friends. And we're very, very grateful to all of them because they help us too. Yeah. And I think um, it's really positive. And I think, can you sort of summarise any words of wisdom for anybody listening out there? that you've acquired. Martin's phrase is always live life, not MS. Do you stand by that? I think that, honestly, I I have to endorse that because we don't focus on the negatives. Yeah, there are bad days, but we realise that there's going to be some better times. So we focus on them and we make them happen. We make those good times happen. And that's what you have to focus on. So, you know, if you're feeling a bit rough one day, tomorrow you might not. So you just have to go with the flow and say, I I need to live my life. This is how it is for now. Just think about how you are feeling at this moment. And I know that at this moment, I'm actually feeling well, I'm feeling good. And so this is the feeling that I want to carry with me. In an hour's time, I might not be feeling great. I might have a headache. But then again, you know, that's pretty much the same for everyone in this world. And I don't honestly think that um, after the past year 
of the pandemic and everything that everyone has been through, it's been a tough time for so many people. And I think that the one thing that we've taken from it is the fact that this has given us a level playing field, really, if you like, because so many people haven't been able to go to gigs and matches and theatres and that sort of thing. That's the life of disabled people very often, that they can't get out and about and do the things that they would really, really like to do. It's not impossible, but it's it's not as easy as it used to be. So for all the people who've been through this pandemic, I think we've all been very equal and we've all been managing to muddle through the best way we can and finding the best bits. And we've all found other ways to work. We've found other ways to live and doing things in different ways, even down to, you know, the Zoom calls and everything else. And I think that if there's anything that you need to take from this, it's that don't give up. There's always another way. Yeah, I like it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I do need to ask you the two closing questions that I always ask everybody, Liz. So if you could be, there's no pandemic, so forget the pandemic. If you could be anywhere in the world, where would you be is question number one. And what would you be drinking? <laughs> oh, dear. Now you're going to talk about my alcohol dependency. No, no <laughs> I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be than my home because I love my home. And it's somewhere that I'm very happy to be. And it is my happy place. So I would say I would like to be sitting in my garden with a nice large gin and tonic with ice and lemon, surrounded mm -hmm. by my family and friends, because I've missed seeing them all over the past year. So to think that now I might be able to do just that, enjoy yeah. a drink with them all and yeah. have a chat and catch up and talk about life in general. I can't think of anything better. I don't want anything more than that. I, I, you probably were thinking that I was going to take myself off to Barbados or somewhere, but quite Halfway frankly... around the world, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we've spent a lot of time at home over the last year, but I can't think of anywhere I'd rather be. So, no, at home, large G&T. Thanks very much. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I really enjoyed talking with you today, Liz. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Lovely to chat to you too. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for listening to today's MS show. Please subscribe, rate and review this podcast. And if you'd like to get more involved with the MS show, why not join our Facebook community? Just search Facebook for The MS Show. Come back soon for another dose of MS information and inspiration. You've been listening to the MS Show podcast. <laughs>